Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Uber is looking for a product designer. This is a remote position for those in San Francisco, Seattle, or the Pacific time zone, though they are also looking for people in New York City. Northern Kentucky University is looking for a visual communication design lecturer in Highland Heights, Kentucky. OwnUp is looking for a product designer. This is a remote position. Constructive is looking for a senior interactive designer. This is a remote position. Black Visions is looking for a communications director in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Vox Media is looking for a senior motion designer. This is a remote position. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and also help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. This week, I'm talking with award-winning motion graphics designer, animation director, and commercial artist Magnus Adam. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hey. So yeah, my name is Magnus Adam. I'm an animation director and I work globally with brands and clients to bring their brands to life with motion graphics and design, illustration, and tying that all in with animation. So how has 2022 been going for you so far? It's been interesting. (laughs) I mean... It's been as good as it could be, I guess, this year. I mean, it's been a, another one. <laughs> but yeah, I started off, my wife and I, we actually went down to Miami for New Year's, I and mean, I'd never been there. Um, so that was an interesting start. I was 100% sure I was going to get COVID, and then I didn't. So I don't know how I've, it seems like everyone has been getting it so far, but somehow my wife and I, we've dodged it. So it's been good. I mean, I've been busy working. I just moved to a new place. So I'm actually living in upstate New York in this town called Saratoga Springs. And so it's definitely a departure from what I'm used to because, you know, I grew up in New York City. So this is like more country, a little bit like suburby, kind of small town living. And so I'm sort of like, we just moved into like an actual house, still Mm. renting. But it's definitely a departure from like the New York City, one bedroom, 600 square foot apartment. So now it's like, oh, we have a place with like space and yard, yard space. So that's, it's been interesting adjusting to it. So 
Yeah, it's it's been it's been really an interesting start. So living in a new place, I definitely I don't really know anybody either. So it's like also acclimating to the fact that like I'm I'm far away from like a lot of friends and family. So trying to start fresh, I guess is yeah. 2022 has been year of starting fresh. So being in upstate New York is it still pretty easy like to get back down into the city if you need to. We picked a place that was sort of close to the city. So I actually, I've never lived in Saratoga Springs or even really been to it. I, I visited it like once before we moved here, but we visited it and it was like, oh, this is, it has enough stuff going that I didn't think, we didn't think it would be super boring. And also it was close enough to the city that like I can still visit my parents and my parents can come visit us. But it's about two hours on a train or like two and a half hours driving. That's not too bad. No, it's not bad. But in the wintertime, it's like sometimes you're just, especially if it's like snowing or like inclement weather, it can be a little trek, I guess. (laughs) Let's talk about the work that you're doing now. You're the animation director at Strange Beast. Tell me a little bit about the studio and what a typical day is like for you. Sure. So I'm actually an animation director at Strange Beast. So the way Strange Beast works, it's it's kind of unique. I don't see a lot of this sort of setup in the States, but it's a little bit more popular in Europe. So the way their setup works is they have a bunch of animation directors that they've sort of like signed and kind of like a year by year basis. And so each animation director, like if you visit their website, each animation director has like a very specific sort of style and like a distinct voice, I guess, that they, it's very specific to them. And it's a little different than what you might find in the States where, you know, like some of the big animation houses like Buck or Giant Ant or, you know, like some of these other names the animation directors don't get as much recognition it's more of like the studio takes the credit and people go to the studio to work with that studio name whereas with strange beast and you know some other studios like ours in europe people come to strange beast to work with a specific director so whether that's caitlin mccarthy or anna ginsburg they want to work with those specific animators and they have to go through strange beast to work with them and so it's a pretty cool setup because it it gives you the flexibility where i'm not full-time by any means and i have a lot of flexibility whether i want to take on a project that they give me so just to kind of give like a mock scenario of how it would work say a client wants to Uh, make a, I don't know, a a 30 second spot for TV. And they want like an animation director from Strange Beast. And they don't really know which animation director they want to go with. So maybe they'll pick out a a few different animation directors. So maybe me and a couple other people on the Strange Beast roster. And then maybe they also want to like look for some animation directors from other studios as well. They'll probably, they'll pick a bunch of people and then we'll all sort of pitch to, we'll we'll pitch for the project. And that usually involves like creating like style frames and, you know, written treatments and sort of like a pitch deck and presenting it to the team. And all this is sort of like, I don't get paid for any of that stuff. So there is sort of a pros and cons of like this kind of like method where it's, 
in this situation, I might have to do a bit, a bit of work to create some style frames and deck building. And if I don't win the bid, then, you know, it's like I didn't get paid for it. But at the same time, it can be really like an interesting process. And so another scenario would be like they would come to Strange Beast and they're like, OK, I really want to work with Magnus Adam specifically. And you know, maybe I'm busy because I take on like other freelance work outside of Strange Beast as well. So I can tell them like, hey, like, sorry, like I can't work with you on right now on this project. And so they might go to another animation director or they'll maybe the stars will align, which happens, you know, <laughs> less often than I would hope. But sometimes the stars will align and I'll be like, OK, I'm free and I'm ready. And they'll be like, awesome. Like, we want to work with you. There's no pitching. We just want to know. We just want to work with you. And so from there, we'll sort of like we have some producers that are full time at Strange Beast. And actually, lately, Strange Beast had a bit of a transition in terms of the heads. So actually, the woman who was running it, Kitty Turley, um, who's amazing, she actually stepped aside for a little bit because she's gone on maternity leave. And there's another producer who has come to sort of take her, her place. And so she sort of like oversees everything in at Strange Beast as like an executive producer. And then underneath her is a bunch of like other producers who might be working on different projects. So they'll be assigned to like one project at a time. So yeah, so from that, we'll sort of create a budget, like they'll tell us what the budget is. And we'll tell them like, okay, this is what's feasible. This is what can work. And, you know, like, we'll talk about like timelines, you know, the yada, yada, all that, the more production level stuff. Um, I'm personally like, I don't really have to deal that much with it, which is really nice because, you know, the producers, they get to just handle that they get to interface with the client in terms of all the numbers and stuff and for me i might start off a project by trying to create like style frames so i'm like okay like what is like the look of this project gonna be like so for example i just did a piece but one of the pieces i just did for them was for headspace um, and so they wanted to create a uh animation series where each animation episode was directed by a different animation director. So each animation had like its own kind of unique style. And so obviously there's like a constraint that you need to work within. So, you know, like Headspace has brand colors, you know, Headspace has sort of like guidelines that they kind of need. You can't do like super grotesque, uh, like raunchy, like rated X stuff. This could be for children. This is going to be like, you know, very calm, like meditative animation. So like from there, you sort of like think about like, okay, like what can we do within the parameters? Maybe we'll start designing like some frames um, and start developing like the look and feel. And alongside that, we might be developing like the storyboards. Like how is that going to play out before we even get into like touch anything animation? We're just going all into like the planning of like getting all the yeah, style and concept down. And then once that's approved, then we'll move on to like another layer where we'll start working on the actual animation, the production. And from there, Strange Beast doesn't have any like permanent employees really, except for the producers. But we work with like a roster of, of freelancers, which, you know, they're like, we have freelancers that we love to work with because, you know, like they've proven themselves, like we, we get along, you know. And so 
we'll call up some animators and maybe we'll need illustrators. And it's it's kind of a cool process because it makes it so that each project we're not constrained by the resources that's you know we're limited maybe a house that has like in-house animators we have to work with those animators or we have to work with those designers like i would have a project where maybe i need animation that's a little bit more disney-esque you know i i have animators who are very good at that sort of style and i can call on those or maybe i want someone who's like a little bit more free-flowing style and you know like I have people that who would come to mind and I would want to reach out to to work on like that kind of project so it's, it's a very sort of like organic process like each time we go into a project but yeah I guess that's sort of like the overall um, I guess methodology of strange based interesting it kind of sounds almost like a kind of like a collective setup where people come together for the work or like people may have to sort of pitch themselves for the work just because something comes into the studio doesn't necessarily mean the entire studio works on it. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, like there's many animation directors. So like I haven't even met half of them. You know, I've, I've worked with a bunch of them and everyone's been like super awesome. And even when I was working at their studio in London, there would be like there wouldn't always be overlap. So I would have a project and then it might, another animation director would have a project and we might overlap for like a couple days and we'd get to talking. But for the most part, it's sort of a project by project basis. And Strange Beast is good at like giving you the resources when you need it. Mm, okay. So I guess when new work does come in and like, say you put in for the the project, you've made a, a little deck or you've made some slides or something for it, and you do get the project, you win the project. What does that, that process look like once you've actually started on it? Yeah. So the process, once we've actually like won the bid, it's kind of like what I was saying, where you need to create like the look, like the style frames and the storyboards and really just flushing out the entire project. So like Headspace, that's an example. Okay. For that, we needed to... Well, actually, so that was an interesting, unique project because it was actually me and one other animation director. Just because it was like we had to do 20 minutes of animation in like a several, in like two months time period. And so that's like a lot of animation. And so they thought it would be better if like we have two animation directors who can sort of like tag team it and approach it. So... Yeah, so for a project like that, that was fun because I got to like kind of bounce ideas back and forth. So I worked with this animation director, uh, Yuval Hacker, and it was an interesting project because we had to both come at it with kind of our own style, but we also had to develop a style that was very unique to the project. So I would sort of start by creating a style frame and then I would send it to him he would take that and he would sort of like make his own style frame sort of inspired by that. And then he would send it to me. And it was a very back and forth process. Like we did this dozens and dozens of times before we finally came down with like a style that we're like, okay, this is going to work. And then once we come up with the style, like, so in that example, like we were just hand drawing everything in Photoshop using like just brush tools. So once we were sort of comfortable with like the style, we sort of, then send it off to the client and the client will then like have a bunch of notes and be like, okay, well, we don't like the way this character looks. Can you 
slim him down or can you give him like take off these brands or whatever you know like stuff like that clients are supposed to say then we'll have that sort of back and forth process with the client and that'll happen like several times from there we start to like organically build like a style that both we're comfortable with and that I'm comfortable like making and animating and that the client is comfortable with and so once we sort of create like those initial style frames and then we'll start like creating like the storyboards where we'll be start saying like okay this is what's going to happen here when the voice actor says this you know we're going to have like the sun rise over the sunset and the swans are going to fly out of the of the reeds you have to sort of build out that very minute like detail of like what you think is is going to happen because as an animation director a lot of the times i'm not actually touching everything so you're sort of building out a roadmap yeah you're building out a roadmap for then you give it to other animators who don't animate in, in that style and they're coming in with like very little knowledge and they're basically like you're giving it to them and being like okay build this and so there has to be a lot of very little like lost in translation so they need to be able to see like the storyboards and be like okay this scene is going to have like a sun and it's going to be rising and the rays are going to be turning like this and the reeds are going to be blowing and then they'll have that style frame that I made of that exact scene. And so they'll know, okay, like this is what I need to animate and this is what the final style should look like. We go through this process where we have the storyboards laid out for the entire, you know, whether it's 20 minute project or 30 second project. And we then create a style frame of what it should look like for each key moment, whether it's like a different landscape or, you know, a different character. And so that whole process is it can be very time consuming because obviously there's a lot back and forth. You're basically just, yeah, like creating the style and the playbook for the entire animation. So from there, once you've finally like gotten that and like you've got it approved, like the client loves it, you like it. And then you can just like go straight into the animation. And then that's when, you know, you start reaching out to your animators, be like, you know, come on board. And designers, if you need background designers or illustrators, and then you just go on full on production where you're like, okay, like these rough animators are, and when I say rough animators, there's several layers to the animation process. And if you're doing like this sort of illustrative style, so there would be like the very rough hand-drawn, like loose animation where it's not fully fleshed out. It's not like final line work, but it's, it shows like the movement, you know, it's like, it's, this is how the character is going to move. And this is like the weight and this is how the waters are going to ripple. But like, just in terms of like, think of it like a rough sketch of, mm -hmm. of a painting before you do the final painting, you probably want to do like a, a bit of a, a rough sketch underneath, right? That's what the rough animation is. So that's a process. And then after you've gotten that down, then you'll have like another layer of animation and that's what we'll call cleanup animation. And then a lot of times those two animators, like the rough animator and the cleanup animator won't even be the same animator. So the rough animator has to create it in a certain, they have to create the rough animation in a certain way that any cleanup artist can come to it and be like, okay, like all I have to do is trace over this rough animation in like the final line work. Cause now I'm trying to make it look final. It's basically, we're just trying to like get it from the rough animation to the final 
And that's actually even a longer process, surprisingly. But it's kind of like building, I guess, like a car. You don't start by just building the car, right? You have to start by like thinking it out. You have to think about like the production, the budget, and then you have to think about like the schematics and the layouts and the materials. And and then it's like this iterative process that like slowly over time, a bunch of different people with a bunch of different skills all are coming together to sort of like build this final animation that has that sort of initial style frame and idea that you sort of created. Or when I say you, like me as an animation director, sort of created from the get-go. Yeah. That is quite a process. I I think it probably helps to have a client that really is tuned into working with creatives to be able to go through all of that with so many different steps and working with so many different people. For sure. I mean, it's definitely not for the impatient. And yeah, animation, it takes work. People think there's a running joke in, in the animation industry. It's like, just press the animate button and you know, <laughs> bring your character to life. And it's like, no, it's a process for sure. Yeah. I want to get more into really like how you learned about animation. So let's take it back into the past a little bit. I want to learn more about sort of your origin story now. You're from NYC originally, is that right? Yeah, so I actually, I grew up, well, I was I was born in Hawaii, but I grew up in New York City. What was it like uh, growing up there for you? Yeah, I, I, I well, so I grew up in Brooklyn. And so I, I lived in, I first, but when my family first moved here from Hawaii, they didn't buy a place, we were renting. So... When we first moved here, we were actually living in Park Slope. And to hear tell, if you know New York City, you know Park Slope isn't like a super expensive, like super nice, ritzy neighborhood. To hear tell, it was not like that when we moved here. I actually hear it was quite dangerous when we first moved here. So I spent my early years, like in elementary school, in that area. But as like as rents started in increasing, my family ended up having to move from Park Slope. And we ended up moving to an area called Ditmas Park and around Flatbush. And I didn't spend a lot of time actually like in Flatbush per se. Like I went to middle school there and, you know, like I, I had a lot of friends there. But when I started going to like high school, my high school was actually in the city. So I actually spent a lot of my my youth like just in the city, you know, whether it's like was Midtown where my high school was or I spent a lot of time in Chinatown. And it's funny because, you know, like New York City, it's kind of a place where you kind of need money to do a lot of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And also when you're when you're a kid, there's a lot of things that New York City offers to you that you just can't have access to because you're under 18 or you're under 21. So a lot of it was like a lot of my youth was spent like hanging out like in parks in in Chinatown, like, you know, playing sports, like playing handball. And that's where like a lot of my my friends hung out. So in terms of like living in New York City, to compare it to, I guess I can't really compare it to anything else because, I you know, only had one childhood. But <laughs> I, I would say that it was nice having such a diversity of people. It was something like you didn't think about, right? Like, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm like the only person of color like in this area. I was surrounded by all different ethnicities, all different 
cultures. And so, I mean, it's funny, like even at my lunch table in high school and, and middle school, it was like, it was like the UN, you know, it was like, I literally like every like ethnicity. <laughs> it was definitely gave me a lot of experiences in terms of the type of people I met. I had like, I guess, parents tried to take me to like cultural events that when they, you know, when they could afford it. But for the most part, you know, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, New York City sort of has that reputation of being a really big melting pot. So it sounds like that definitely was what your experience was like growing up. And, you know, you mentioned high school. I don't want to gloss over. You went to a pretty well-known high school for those who might be of a certain age like myself, the fame school, LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts. What was it like going there, knowing that it had such a, a reputation? You know, I never took school seriously until I finally got to college. But high school, I guess to backtrack just a little bit, my dad always wanted to train me to be an artist. So I never really like pushed myself in terms of like art, but my dad was always the one who was like on my ass about like, you need to like do this painting, you know, hmm. you need to like, I don't remember if it was like every night, but it, it was like definitely like several times a week. It was like, okay, like get onto your corner and like do your, your painting, you know, it's like, I didn't have a choice. It was kind of like, you know, like, I guess like a typical parent would tell you like, go and hit the books. You know, it's like, my dad was like, go and paint. When I was applying to high school, I think I already had an edge over the other people who applied because a lot of the other applicants, a lot of their body of work was, you know, maybe like school assignments, you know, it was like, and you can tell when like something's a school assignment or something's like done outside of school. And so I think that really helped propel me into it because I already like had this sort of formal training from my dad growing up. So when I finally got into high school, like you had to apply to get into it, like you had to take a like an actual test, like an art test, you had to like show a portfolio to teacher and they would like ask you about it. So it's definitely it was a lengthy process to get in. But when I actually got in, I didn't take it all too seriously. So funny, like I, my grades were actually terrible. Like I in the first year, like freshman year, I, I think I failed three classes and I had to do like summer school for the first time. <laughs> I wouldn't be the last time. I kind of goofed off a lot. But in terms of like the people I met, it wasn't your typical high school experience. And I think that was sort of the thing I took away from it the most was, you know, the people I was surrounded by were musicians and other artists. And although, you know, maybe not every single person was like passionate about art and wants to be like an artist you know i've never seen fame so but the way i, I kind of like i think i've seen clips and people are like dancing on tables and um, <laughs> singing in the hallways. they were singing in the hallways but it wasn't like people weren't like dancing on, on the tables and yeah but people like <laughs> genuinely talking to other people i've met like outside of laguardia like in their high school experience, I've heard like it's very much cliques, right? Like you got the jocks and you got the cheerleaders. And at least this is what I'm kind of like imagining other high schools to be like, you know, like mm -hmm. the kids who were Abercrombie and Fitch. And then you had the skater boys. It was um, high school. Yeah, it was high school. Um, <laughs> but for me, there was a little bit more emphasis on being unique, I guess, 
it wasn't forced. Like no one was like t- telling you like, oh, you got to be unique. It was more like people were proud to wear clothes that they just made themselves, whether it was like good looking clothes or not. You know, it wasn't like it didn't really matter. Like cool. Like if you had started your own little fashion t-shirt brand in school and you wore your own jeans that you like had messed up with paint, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the vibe. I guess everyone was had like this unique sort of voice and there was definitely a lot of talent. Like looking back, like the amount of talent at that school, you don't realize it when you're in the moment, you know, like as a kid, you don't know what to compare it to. But looking back, I went to a performance. Um, they do like these concerts that the uh, the instrumental majors and the vocal majors and the, and the the drama majors will put on. And these are not like normal high school productions. These are like I've been to many Broadway shows. These are on par with Broadway productions. You know, mm. these they're good. And it goes to show because a lot of them end up, you know, working in that field um, afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, that was my experience. You know, I met a lot of really cool artists. Most of my friends were just, if not all of them, were just artists. So it was cool to, like, bounce ideas off of. And, you know, I did, like, a little bit of graffiti when I was of that age. And, you know, like I had my first clothing company was with some of my best friends. We just decided to create like, you know, a small clothing company. And like, we'd like, so we'd create like stickers and merchandise and like, we would sell it to like our friends and other people. And we even like dabbled in like making music. It was like a really creative, I guess, environment to grow up in. Yeah. So we were talking like, before recording about like, oh yeah, I said the fame high school. And you're like, oh yeah, it was a movie. And I'm like, well, it was a TV show. It was a movie first, then a TV show. Then there was like fame LA and then another movie. Wow. I didn't know it was such a series. I literally just thought it was a movie and I feel kind of ashamed because so many people have been like, oh, you went to the fame school and I've never even seen fame. Oh, you should check it out. It's a pretty good show and a movie. I mean, I remember the first movie, but not the second one. The second one was in like 2009 or something, I think. Oh, oh, well, that's funny because I graduated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did remember that coming out. Sure. Um, But yeah, I graduated 2008. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see it. I don't know if it'll actually be like the real life experience. (laughs) Well, after graduating, you went to Parsons, which is a very well-known school in New York City for fashion and for design and everything. And we've had a few Parsons alum on the show as well. How was your time over there? Yeah, so definitely different than high school, because like I said, in high school, I completely slacked off. I barely graduated by the skin of my teeth. And I, yeah, terrible grades. And I actually just got into Parsons by the skin of my teeth. Um, Oh, but. When I got into Parsons, I sort of, well, my dad told me, he was like, this is your last chance. Like, <laughs> if you fail, like if you flunk, there's no point in you doing this. You don't need to be in school anymore. And so I realized, like, I was like, oh, okay, this is like, it's serious time. And so I took it very seriously. So actually, funny enough, I guess it's kind of serendipity, but when I had, was applying to Parsons, I hadn't heard back from them for yeah I sent in my application and I hadn't heard back and it was like time was passing like months were passing and I was like ah, like I wonder what ever happened and the girl I was dating at the time was like you really need to check out check on them and see what's going on and I was like 
Okay. So I went down to the office. I was like, hey, like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, so you actually got accepted, but they didn't send out like some sort of letter or, or maybe I didn't get it. And so by the time I went down there, all the applications for the basic, I forget what the, the term is for most art majors that go into Parsons, but that was all filled up. And they were like, we feel really bad. And you did get in. And we have this experimentative, a new program that we're creating called Design and Technology that we still have some spots open for. And, you know, if you want to go in through that, it's a different curriculum. And so rather than going in through the traditional route where, you know, like you have to go through graphic design, you have to learn like all these like very like fundamental like principles. And it was more of like a DIY sort of route where you get to kind of, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. And the whole idea is like, it kind of merged a whole bunch of different, I guess, topics. So you had like coding, coding within art, and then you had you know, like web design, and then you had more like experimentative, like it was anything that you could think of where it's design, but also plus technology. So you even had some sound designers in that mix. And so I went into that not knowing what I wanted to do at all. You know, I, I thought maybe I was going to do like graphic design. I knew I had to pick something at some point um, mm-hmm. and time was ticking. And so when I went in, I like I was like, OK, like I'll try graphic design. And that was like not for me. I was like, this is not my thing. And then I did like I really loved illustration. And that was something like I always did passionately on the side. But it wasn't like a choice, like in terms of like what I can do, like they didn't offer, like if I wanted to be illustration, I would have had to like completely do a whole new curriculum. And like, I would have had to like start over or something. So I was like, that's not an option. And then there was like web design. I was like, okay, maybe I want to be a web designer. And I think I I got into it because I had some illustration stuff and I wanted to put it on a, a website. And this was before Squarespace and like all those kind of like templated websites where you could just like, you know, upload your images. I kind of still had to know some coding. There was a WordPress, but, you know, I, I never really liked the whole Word, WordPress thing. So I thought maybe I would do some web design. And I even took an internship in web design and realized I got pretty far. You know, I learned, I knew HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript. I realized it wasn't for me either. Like staring at lines of code for like 12 hours a day was just like, okay, this is not my thing. I'm going to burn out doing this. And then the second year of Parsons, I had a good friend who he had a little bit of animation experience that he just did from like, you know, from high school. I think he was just, he was kind of like a go-getter. Like he just tried interesting stuff, tried new stuff. And so he already came in like knowing a bit of animation. And so like he was a close friend of mine and I saw what he was doing and I was like, oh, that's kind of looks fun. Like that looks interesting. And so he convinced me to like take the motion graphics one class. And so I was like, okay, like it was just learning like After Effects, like basic After Effects, how to make like shapes move and text move on screen, you know, simple like learning how to use the program. I took the class and I immediately was like, this is pretty cool. Cause like I liked illustration already, mm-hmm. but it was the first time where I can take my illustration and like have it come to life. And I took it like very seriously too. Like, like a lot of people I knew. So I was like, I lived in New York city. So, and I couldn't afford to go to the dorms to live in the dorms. So I lived at 
home. And so a lot of people I knew, they were like living at the dorm life and like, you know, they were partying a lot. And like, you know, I was very jealous of like, oh man, you get to <laughs> live with three roommates and 200 square feet. Oh man, I'm so jealous. Like I really was, but I didn't have any of that. And so I spent a lot of my time like just working like on, on my school projects. And so I think putting a lot of that work in early, I already saw like the amount of work I put into it. People were like noticing it. Like people were like, I think the first time I was doing like artwork or something that was like kind of unique to myself and people were like, oh, this is really good. Before like people would be like, oh yeah, I like this illustration. Or I like that painting. I was doing those kind of because I like had to almost. Um, this was the first time I was like, I want to do this. And then people were telling me that they think it's really good. And then also I was in these classes and with like these animation classes and it was already better than a lot of the other animators who were like in that class. So there, I think it created sort of a feedback loop of people are saying you're good at this and I'm enjoying it. So I feel kind of proud. So I feel like I have to do it even more. It ended up just becoming a thing where I'm like, I ended up taking like a whole bunch of like animation classes and I wanted to learn everything about animation. I started off just learning After Effects, but then I was like, oh, like I want to like learn how to like do stop motion. You know, like I want to like learn how to do like CGI, like 3D animation. And then within 3D animation, I was like, okay, I want to learn how to like do like dynamics. You know, I, I want to learn how to do lighting and modeling and character rigging and I was like, oh, like I discovered like cell animation for the first time where you can actually just draw on a screen and like rather than having to draw it on paper and then scan it in and, you know, move it around and in After Effects, like moving images, it was like, oh, you can like bring things to life, like, you know, Disney style. I was just like fascinated by every different aspect of like animation. And not only that, how can you combine all of these different things. So like, how can I mix CG and sell animation? Or how can I mix stop motion and, and sell? Or, and I even went so far as to take like sound design classes because I was like, I want to make the sound and music to my own animation. So I was sort of like, just kind of like gathering all these skills just because it, it, like it was really fun to do. And I was like, this is seems like appropriate. I wasn't thinking like, I was thinking like, I want to make a career of this, but it was more of like, I'm doing this because like, I'm just super fascinated by all of these different aspects. Yeah, I think learning all those different things really helped me. And so I think by sophomore year, I like definitely knew what I wanted to do. And by junior year, I actually, I felt like I was just ready to hit the workforce. Um, I actually had a lot of teachers who were really helpful in, in terms of like my early getting off the ground like so one of the classes I had it was like an animation like intermediate animation class learning like concepts and so one of the projects was for um creating like a mock like a mock commercial for like a product or for a brand and at the time you know I was super into like the whole vinyl toy scene you know like kid robot and like you know like even like vape and all that stuff is like super popular and so like i really loved kid robots so i was like okay like i'm just gonna make a um an animation about like one of their toys which was like the that like iconic like money if, if you don't know it it's like kind of looks like a white monkey that you can like draw on customize so I, I made this animation. It was like a 15 or 30 second like animation. It actually ended up like like some of the, the teacher brought in some like professional, I guess, like people she knew from her professional circle and to like actually like 
critique us in like the finals. And so a lot of them, like some of the critiquers came in and they saw it and they were like, oh, this is like really like you made this by yourself. <laughs> like this is like definitely like top level, like at least like almost like studio level stuff. And went so far where like I sent it to Kid Robot and I was like, oh, I don't know, I might not hear anything. I think it was like a couple days later, one of the directors at of Operation, they reached out to me. They were like, hey, this is awesome. Like, can you like do something like this just for us for like this other product that was coming out? And so that was sort of like my first step into like a like a client project that I had gotten like just by myself, like no one else. So Parsons, I think, set me up in a in a way where it's like I met a lot of really interesting people, like a lot of like other interesting like animators who who also wanted to do what I I did. Yeah, it was kind of like LaGuardia, where it was like it was a very creative atmosphere that was like fostering our my creativity. And of course, now you know you're well-known animation director with with Strange Beast. So clearly even just getting that spark from doing the work at Parsons and learning about it has propelled you to uh, to where you are right now. The way that actually I had heard about you was because you won an award back in 2019 from the One Club. Uh, you won the Young Guns Award, which is usually given to young designers. I think they do it every year. They have like a Young Guns 17, Young Guns 18, etc., where were you when you got news about your win? Yeah, well, just just really quickly, it, I actually won it this last year, but it was called Young Guns 19. I was actually sitting in the same spot I am sitting in right now. I was just at home when I when I read the email that I won. Actually, when I when I read that I was the finalist, I didn't even know that I was a finalist. My executive producer at Strange Beast just texted me and she, she was just like, Hey, congratulations on being a young guns finalist. And I like, I had, I didn't even know I was a finalist. And I was like, what? Like, awesome. Yeah. And, um, has, have things kind of changed for you since you won the award? Not really. I mean, yes and no. I've had a lot of people reaching out to me to try to pin me down for a full-time job. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually funny enough, this one company I've always wanted to work for like when I was starting off in my career, like I always wanted to work for this animation studio and like I reached out to them early on and they never even got back to me and it was always a dream to work for them. And then after I won, they reached out to me and they were like, Hey, do you want a full-time job? And I was, I actually, I turned them down because I was, I'm enjoying freelancing and doing this, the whole thing with strange beast so much. So it's funny how life works like that, I guess. Wow. I'm curious about that because, you know, we've had other award-winning designers on the show, and I'm always curious to know, like, if things really change once you get the award. Like, does it does it open you up to bigger and better jobs? Does that mean you get more press? Do you get representation? Like, I'm just always curious about that because I feel like it's still kind of 50-50. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the award can be kind of the thing that not holds you back. But it can end up being a bit of a curse in a way. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I feel like after I won the award, I felt like all of a sudden now there's like a spotlight on me. I feel like I can't really mess up. You know what I mean? Like, because it's a bunch of people like now know my name in the industry. I'm, I'm not just like, I guess, nobody at this point. But at the same time, it was very liberating because it's something I've always wanted was 
the Young Guns. Like ever since I was like in college, I wanted to win this Young Guns award. And it was definitely like it was like a dream come true for my this my 20s. So when I won, it was sort of liberating because all of a sudden I I didn't have to think of like, okay, like I need to do this animation because I have to like it has to fit into my body of work so that I can win this award the Young Guns Award. Now I'm kind of like, oh, like I can do whatever I want. If I want to like do something different, I don't feel like I'm constrained to doing just like animation anymore. That makes sense. Like the award kind of, it's the validation. And so from there you can springboard to other things because the work that you've won that award for, you don't really have to prove yourself. You've gotten an award for it. Like people have judged your work and said that it's good to this caliber, to the standard. So you kind of, it kind of does give you freedom to do other things in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Definitely. Yeah. And now speaking of other things that you're doing, like aside from, from strange beast, you have a, a fashion and art brand that you created called Yugen Goon. Tell me about that. Yes. That was a fun side project. I actually created with my wife. Actually, I, I started it. I started concepting it many years back. Because I work as a commercial artist, so this work that I put on my site and the stuff that I do professionally, you know, is definitely of a certain, I guess, content. You know, it's it's commercially viable. You know, I always had this like outlet of like stuff I like to do outside of that. You know, I like to paint. You know, I like to do like I love doing pastel still to this day. Like ever even like I grew up my dad making me do pastels, and I still love to do it. And I have all these like fascinations with like all this other stuff, you know, like whether it's spiritualistic or tribal or different content from like religious or spiritual stuff from around the world that it probably is not going to make it into like my commercial for, you know, Nike. You know? <laughs> so it's like I kind of wanted to like create this separate thing where I was like, OK, like this is going to be just me. Right. That I like I don't really have to like answer to anybody Actually, funny enough, I, I created it because I wanted to sort of like just create like a side hustle because I was like, I want to make like a bit of money on the side, just like as a, a revenue source. And it ended up being like, I couldn't just do something for the money. Like it ended up being <laughs> like, okay, like if I'm going to make something, I got to like make it cool. So I ended up spending like a long time on it, way longer than I should have, like years creating like just like the idea for it. I guess I'm such a perfectionist, but. Actually, my wife helped propel me to really finalize it because if it wasn't for her, I would just have just been aimlessly just creating designs and not even putting it out. And my, she was like, okay, just, just, you got to put it out. It was a nice departure from my usual animation stuff because I got to take like the artwork that I was creating on the side and then kind of play around with some graphic design and illustration that I get to like experiment and kind of like have fun and do stuff that I'm like, okay, this might not be right. But you know, it's like, this is, I think it's cool. And if I think it's cool, maybe other people will think it's cool. The whole idea with Yugen Goon was I wanted to create this brand that was sort of a world in its own. So like, I wanted to have like these different characters and all these different storylines. And hopefully one day I'll like create like an animation that ties in and like, kind of like tells like the story a little bit better. But like, I created like all these like made up all these like different like gods right that are depicted on 
on on the clothing and even within the clothing like if on the inside label there's like unique like poem like on each so you know where like the tag would be on the inside of like the, the apparel tag like instead of having a tag i have like it like a poem um and it's just kind of there for like just for the people who buy it it's not there to show off you know it's not there to like for anybody else other than like the people who are like know it know it's there mm-hmm. um so i kind of like this idea of like creating like this world where it's just it's sort of like storytelling and it's sort of constantly evolving it draws on a lot of um really stuff that i'm like fascinated by whether it's like cultural tribal like mass you know african mass or japanese mass or things like holy scripts you know from like like the I Ching, stuff like that just fascinates me. So that's kind of Yugen Goon in a nutshell. Yeah, I was going to ask about like what the significance with the masks might be. I haven't even figured it out myself, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, maybe if I ever have a therapist, uh, it'll come out. But uh, and I'll figure out why I'm so fascinated by masks. But I don't know. I love I love the like mask designs, whether like of all cultures. Yeah, Japanese, Tibetan, you know, Chinese, African, different African tribes. I think it's kind of what they represent. But and when you look into like why they exist, they all kind of have their own unique meaning. But there's kind of like this connection that you see between all these different like cultures that were separated by oceans. I don't know. Like, there's just something beautiful, I think, to mass. Mm. When you look back at your body of work, is there any, like, one project that really stands out to you the most? When I was working at Vice, I created this one piece called uh, Bone Dance. I think it's 15, 30-second long animation. It was for Vice's, they did, like, a weed week, where for a week they would just air, like, weed-inspired content. And they tasked us they were like oh, you can create like anything you want if it's like for weed week that and we'll put it on tv um, which is a cool brief you know I, I don't have that anymore and at the time even i knew i was like this is cool but looking back i'm like wow that was you can create anything you want and they'll put it on tv <laughs> for that project i was like i came up with this concept of like having these Without going too deep into it, I wanted to create like this thing that was a little bit like trippy, but sort of like high thought kind of like would make people think because it would be playing late at night, hopefully while people are smoking weed and they'll see it and be like, oh, that was different. You know, I didn't want to just create like regular like weed bong stuff. So that was probably like my favorite project because it was sort of I had the most carte blanche. It's Still to this day, I like I look back and I'm like, oh, this is people see it and they're like, oh, this is still super cool. So, uh, yeah, I think it's probably my favorite piece I've done. Have you had any mentors or anyone that have really kind of helped you out throughout your career? And before you answer that, I feel like your dad may be one of them in case you're <laughs> not going to mention him because you've mentioned him just in passing about how he's really pushed you, especially early on, to be more artistic in this way. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, you got it. It's definitely my dad. I've always had like teachers who are like, they're really helpful, but they haven't like stuck with me like for the long haul. You know what I mean? Like after, like I might keep in contact with some of my teachers, but like after school, but not as much. So my dad has always been there, you know, so I've always been able to like tell him about what I'm doing. And, you know, he's an artist himself. So I can 
he gets it. You know, he's like, I don't have to like explain like, like he doesn't have to be like, oh, like so what is this animation thing? You know, it's like he's he's always been super supportive and pushing me to do that. So yeah, it's definitely my dad. Nice. What do you really appreciate most about your life right now? The thing I appreciate the most, probably the fact that, you know, I'm I'm safe and I'm healthy and everyone I know is healthy. You know, like I know I have friends who have like lost loved ones to COVID and, you know, it's been really hard for the last several years for a lot of people. And so I, I've been super fortunate that everyone I know is, you know, healthy and, and yeah, it's, I guess that's, that's it really. I mean, where do you see yourself in the next five years? I mean, it sounds like so far your career has really progressed to a, a fantastic point. I mean, you've had this strong upbringing, this dad that really pushed you. Now you're doing this work at strange beast. Like, what else do you see yourself doing in the future? It's interesting thinking about it because, you know, even if I look back at my the last decade, I would never have imagined I would get to where I am here because my goals when I was younger is completely different now. Where I will be in like 10 years or five years, I have no idea. But the stuff that I'm super passionate about now is like not as... It's not the same stuff that I was passionate about like when I was in art school. So I think a lot of the stuff that's really ins- still inspires me is like working on my clothing company or if it's I'm really into like this upstate living of like repurposing like antiquing furniture and like <laughs> making it brand new, which is like something I never thought I would be into. So, yeah, you know, it's like I still want to do like I still love animation, but still like my path, I think. And in terms of like where I see that going, I want to keep creating stuff that's like sort of like in my style and keep it evolving, keep doing work that I am passionate about that pays the bills. But on the side of that, like I have other passions, you know, that is completely outside of animation now. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work online? Sure. So you can visit my website. It's just magnusadam.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at magnus.adam. And if you want to see other Strange Beasts artists as well as my stuff, on, you can just go to Strange Beasts website, which is strangebeast.tv. All right. Sounds good. Well, Magnus, Adam, I want to thank you so much, really, for coming on the show. I think, you know, if there's one thing that people really get from this, aside from just your incredible story, is that getting to where you've gotten has taken a lot of work. <laughs> and, and that's not to say that the road should always be easy as a creative, but what it sounds like to me is that you've really put in the work over the years, and now you're sort of at the point where you're able to really kind of reap those rewards, which sounds, of course, you know, really good to hear. I really yeah. am interested to see kind of what you do in the future. I mean, a lot of your work is is already out there. I didn't mention this, but like the, there's like a little Uzi Vert video that you did also. So yeah. you've you've managed to amass a, a huge body of work, and I'm really excited to see what you do next. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me, Maurice. Big, big thanks to Magnus Adam, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Magnus and his work through the links in the show notes at RevisionPath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch. 
a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? Don't be a stranger. We'd love to hear from you. Just hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Search for Revision Path. It's all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. Five stars, of course, for all of those. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become and the further we can extend our reach to talk to black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.